0: We've been looking in Ephesians chapter three, Ephesians chapter three. So, if you have your Bibles open there to Ephesians three, and we—not last week—I want to say last week—but we were all uh, in the midst of well after the storm really, and uh, even though it wasn't much to it, as of uh, those of us who have been through Frederick and Camille and others. it's always uh, brings your mind back to how frail uh, you are when when God and his power is displayed in, in those particular storms and so uh, it's always a time of reflection but this week we uh, want to continue in Ephesians 3 and and look uh, at Paul's character and and Paul himself, and uh, we want to be like Paul in that Paul was like Christ. Uh, Paul had not arrived. We certainly have not arrived. Uh, One day we will be perfected in uh, every way. We today are uh, are still struggling with sin and the sin that easily... uh, Entangles us and uh, trips us up, but we're looking forward, are we not, to the glorification and and, uh, uh, being with Christ in in heaven. And so Paul is wanting us to understand what we're to be like as believers. And he's leading us by example. And this is kind of a review, and I want to add some other things to it, but. uh, God had radically changed Paul's life. And we all know that if, when we study the scriptures. And uh, Paul is letting us know that he can change you too. Radically. And we never arrive. If you think you've arrived, uh, then there's something really wrong with you. Because the closer you get to Christ, the more imperfections you see in your own life. And that's what Paul did. The closer Paul got to Christ, the more Paul saw how unworthy he was, what a big sinner he was, uh, and it humbled him. It humbled him. And he's in prison, remember, and he's been greatly humbled, and yet he rejoices in Christ. He's happy. He is uh, radiant, if you will, uh, because he has uh, Christ. And he knew... We saw last time that God was in control of his life. He was a prisoner of Christ. He wasn't a prisoner of Rome uh, or Nero. He uh, didn't let the circumstances rule his life as we do sometimes. Secondly, he had a sense of privilege. He saw his unworthiness, that he was saved all by grace. Uh, he didn't deserve Grace. He deserved hell and judgment, punishment. And I believe believing that kept him from being discouraged in all that he was going through because he was humbled by it. As we should be humbled uh, daily uh, that we deserve God's wrath more than we can ever imagine or think. And yet he's been gracious to us in more ways than than we can number. And this should keep us from being discouraged. We saw uh, Paul was also sensitive towards other people. Uh, He didn't wallow in self-pity as we do sometimes. He didn't get out the violin and and, uh, play uh, that dirge. But uh, he was not discouraged through all of this. And that's hard to understand. Why? Because he was thinking of others. He esteemed others better than himself. And so he could go through these trials and tribulations. Because the whole time he was going through this, he was talking and thinking and praying for others, and he didn't dwell on himself. How much are we dwelling on ourselves every day? A whole lot. Too much. When we need to be thinking of others and it will take our eyes off of ourself and fix them on Christ and others. And that's what Paul did. And you know, he didn't say, okay, uh, I better start esteeming others so I can not be discouraged. No, God had changed him and so he was doing this in the spirit. And the result was he was not discouraged. So it's not doing that changes you. It's believing and realizing and understanding who you are in Christ. That you're perfect in Christ. Christ loves you. He rejoices over you. You're perfect in Him. And by golly, then you can live the Christian life by faith, by that uh, power. By that power. As Paul said in Romans 1, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it, the gospel, is the power of God for salvation to all those that believe. Don't forget that. Memorize that verse and pound it in uh, in your thinking. And then we notice that we didn't talk about last week the Paul's prayer life. And he's, he talks about in, in verses 11 and 12 of Ephesians 3. Uh, and, and particularly, uh, in, uh, he says in verse 12, In whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in Him. And then in verse 14, he says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. Remember verses 2 through 13? Uh, is, is, he kind of gets off the subject of verse 1 when he says... For this reason, Paul, the prisoner of Christ, for the sake of you Gentiles. And then go to verse 14 when he says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. And so he just kind of reflects before he does and tells them what his prayer for them is. And of course we can see that. That uh, he would grant you according to the riches of glory to be strengthened with power through The spirit and the inner man and so forth. And he goes into what his prayer is for them. But before he does that, he's letting you know about himself. And that God can do this in you because he's done it in me. The least of all the saints. The chief of sinners. uh, The one who is putting Christians to death. So, that's what he's encouraging us. To be like him. Because he's like Christ. And uh, so there's there's a lot of things we can uh, glean from that. And uh, but uh, he wants us to speak all to God in prayer. Do you come to God uh, and speak all to God? Uh, do you come boldly before the throne throne of grace? Hebrews four sixteen says, therefore let us draw near with confidence or boldness is the word, I think, in the King James, to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We can come boldly before that throne. We don't have to come sheepishly. Uh, now we should come reverently because we're approaching uh, the Creator uh, uh God almighty so we should come with in a reverent manner but we can also come with boldness why because he is our father he's our abba father he is your daddy father and without being irreverent you can crawl up in his lap try doing that to to a, a, the king of Persia or and you can you can picture trying to crawl up in the lap of some rulers or leaders, they would not like that. But you can come boldly to God through Christ uh, because uh, you're his son and he loves you that much. And so Paul was kept from discouragement even while in prison. Uh, And so what must we do? And, And this is where the message was supposed to end last week. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sins that so easily entangles us. And he struggles with this himself, the writer says, and I believe it was Paul. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes. And that's our spiritual eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him, Christ, who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So what is the answer for discouragement? Fix our eyes. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. It's all about him. Now we don't do that many times. We, we uh, think about how we can solve the problem or how we, uh, we worry uh, about the problem. Instead of casting all our cares upon him who cares for us, we carry him around. We carry that burden. And Paul is saying, don't do that. Fix your eyes on Jesus. You know why? Because he'll take it away. He'll carry it for you. And I've experienced that. And this is what Paul's experiencing now. He's not saying this, you know, to, uh, because he hasn't experienced it. No, he is saying this because he is actually going through this. And he said, if it worked for me, the chief of sinners, it'll work for you. Don't try it another way. And we always do. We've got a better way, don't we? We always have a, a, another way of doing things and no, uh, we need to keep our spiritual eyes on Christ. This morning, I want to see that Paul was a true minister of the gospel. And um, in verses 16 through 19, which I'm not going to look at this morning, but the main thing he wanted to do is to tell them why he was praying a certain way for them, why he was praying. The way he was praying. Um, in, in, in all that was going on. Paul says he was made a minister. Uh, there were certain things about Paul's ministry. That God had called him to. That apply to us. But there are some things about Paul's ministry. That does not apply to us. Uh what characterizes a true gospel minister? And, and like I said, these apply to us, but Paul was an apostle. There are no more apostles. There might be somebody who might call himself an apostle, but that does not make him an apostle. Uh, no, uh, uh, Paul was an apostle. There, before we get into that, though, I want to look at four words... In this passage in, in Ephesians 3, and we have read this before, uh, and so I don't think it necessary to go back and read this this whole uh, passage again, and you can do that, but uh, there are four words here that are really kind of hard to, to understand when you hear the word. Do <laughs> you ever read the scripture and you come across the word and you go, what in the world does that mean? And so you just keep going rather than really going back and studying it out and finding what's really being said there. We'll, we'll have our own supposition. We'll have our own thought about it. That must be it. Go ahead. But uh, there are four things here. The first word I want to see is revelation. And he says that in verse 3, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery of, uh, This is uh, apocalyptus, which is the apocalypse you've heard about. This is the same word for the book of Revelation. So Paul is revealing something that doesn't happen to you and me. We are not given direct revelation from God as Paul did. The scriptures are the foundation that we stand on. But we're not receiving more revelation from God. So the Book of Mormon, for instance, is not from God. Okay? Just get that straight. That, that is revelation that's been added. The scriptures are our foundation. And so there is something about Paul that does not continue today. Uh, We today, we ministers, and you're a minister in a sense, you're a servant, uh, you give the word of God out, but uh, uh, we ministers have been given the revelation. And what is that? The scriptures. And those scriptures are complete. And uh, these given by the prophets and the apostles. And uh, we cannot add to the foundation of the Bible. Through new visions, prophecies, revelations, that revealing is, in, is over. Adding to the scripture is a terrible, terrible sin. How do I know that? Well, in the book of Revelation, it says in verses 18 and 19 of Uh, Revelation 22, I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of this book of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city which are written in this book. So it's a serious thing to add to the revelation of God. It's complete. This is all we need as believers today to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. And uh, let us uh, understand that completely. Now, so what is it that we need as Christians today? We need illumination concerning this revelation. Illumination by the Holy Spirit of God who teaches us. And so that we might know the height, the length, the breadth, as he says in verse 18 of chapter 3 of Ephesians that we'll get to. Second word I want to look at is mystery. This is mysterion in the Greek. See, a lot of Greek words are easy because they sound the same. Uh, And it appears three times, verse 3, 4, and 9. Um, And what we have to be careful of is looking at This mystery as defined today by mystery. Okay, this is not a uh, mystery novel. This isn't a puzzle. Uh, This is not something spooky and strange uh, that we can't explain. Mystery defined in the Bible is something that can only be known by God and something that uh, can only be known if God reveals it to us. It is something true, but is hidden in God until he is pleased to reveal it to man. And I like that. I like those definitions. Uh, The mystery of Christ that has been revealed. Uh, Do we not today, with the New Testament, know a whole bunch more than they did in the Old Testament concerning the mystery of Christ. And absolutely we do. Uh, The Old Testament saints, it was there, but it was hidden. It was uh, enfolded, remember. Truth is enfolded in the Old Testament and unfolded in the New Testament. And that's what Paul did for us. He uh, was able to take the Old Testament through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and Uh, interpret it for us correctly and so we must be greatly thankful for what what God did in using Paul Uh, so today we have the mystery of the incarnation explained to us more fully than they had we have the mystery of the trinity father son and holy spirit and yet if you go back to genesis you'll find the trinity there for what does it say? For let us make man in our image. And so, again, today we can have a greater understanding of these, uh, these great, great truths that are found in God's Word. And uh, we have today the mystery of the church. And that is God opening up the gospel in an abundant way to the whole world. That's the mystery. A mystery of the church. Uh, Jews and Gentiles that we've already looked at. Equal footing. There's no court of the Gentiles anymore. Uh, uh, we are all equal in Christ. There's no difference between the Jew and the Gentile. We're all one in Christ. And God today has poured out his grace on the Gentile world in a way that as we look at it in history is amazing. The millions and millions and millions and millions of people throughout the world that have come to know Christ from every tribe and nation. We serve a gracious God. We serve a gracious God. He could have only had grace upon the Jews. He could have done that and been perfectly justified. And yet, we have today, uh, uh, we Gentiles being a part of that. And uh, we're treated uh, and loved like Christ is loved by the Father, the only begotten Son, because we are in Christ. There is no such thing as a second class Christian. Aren't you glad of that? I am not better because I'm a preacher. Than you are. Sitting in the pew. That's what Paul is telling us here. I'm a nobody. That God has had grace on. I, was, I am still the chief of sinners. I sin against God every day. in thought word and deed. Now if you'd have known Paul. You'd have said no Paul. Sorry, but you are spirit-filled. I've never seen the love of Christ so much in a man, but he would have still said, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm the chief of sinners. You see, because the closer you get to Christ, Christ is, is a mirror uh, is a mirror on the wall, if you will. The closer you get to that mirror, the closer you get to Christ, the more imperfections you see in you. And that's what Paul is telling us here. So those who have uh, heritage to brag about, oh, I'm of so-and-so, and oh, that's my lineage, doesn't mean a thing. Doesn't mean a thing. And uh, the other word here is the word uh, in the King James translated dispensation, found in verse 2 and verse 9. In the King, New King James, is translated fellowship. This word is Oikonomos. What does that sound like? Economy. It's where we get our word economy. Uh, It means manager, management, administration. But better, it means stewardship. In the uh, Greek lexicon, I looked it up. In stewardship, stewardship is filled with meaning. Uh, Paul is saying... I have been given this stewardship. Paul saw his role as a steward. A steward is one who is put in charge of managing the household affairs of the master. And who is the master? Christ. Paul has been put in charge of the household affairs as a steward of the master of the house, who is Jesus. 1 Corinthians 4 1. Let a, uh, a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards, here's that word, of the mysteries of God. Stewards of the mysteries of God. And then for us, 1 Peter 4 9 through 10. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift. You have a special gift. I don't know what it is. Sometimes I wonder about myself. Uh, But we all have a special gift God has given us. Employ it in serving yourself. Is that what it says? No. One another. As good stewards. Here we find that word. Or economists. Of the manifold grace of God. And so Paul... Is pouring out his life as a steward of the mysteries of God, and God is using him in a very powerful and uh, uh, positive way as he deals with the Gentile world. And uh, I'm glad God used Paul, a Jew, to, to instead of a Gentile, because if a Gentile had come around saying these things, you would go, hmm. But no, Paul was a Jew. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He hated Christians. And so when God changed his life, people went, they at least had to go, wow, now that's something else. Where if a Gentile had been proclaiming all this, they'd have you know, wondered uh, uh, maybe even more. I don't know. I just uh, uh, That came to my mind. But I think there's a whole lot in his being a Jew. There's great meaning behind that. Uh, And so now he is a steward of this in the church. And the job of the steward is to proclaim to you, we find it in verse 8, what is that? The unsearchable riches of Christ. The unsearchable riches of Christ. My job is to pass on to you this information of the mystery to you. Paul has a treasure box full of the riches of Christ that he is passing on to us. And they're ours. These riches are ours. And uh, what are some of the treasures that we've already seen? In in Ephesians, one of them is chosen before the foundation of the world. We're forgiven. We're adopted. We have a great inheritance. And uh, and so Paul is dispensing these treasures uh, to us as a steward. He's been given this stewardship. Other word, the last word is riches. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 7, we find the riches of grace. Chapter 2, verse 7, the riches of grace. Chapter 3 verse 8 the unsearchable riches of Christ Did you know that and you know, I've said this before that you're the most rich person if you're a Christian than all the worldly people without Christ put together You're rich beyond your imagination If you you if you could just behold the riches of Christ and experience that for a second you you couldn't stand it We couldn't stand it in our fleshly body, in our sinful flesh. But the riches of Christ, the abundance that we have in Christ is far beyond what you can imagine or think. Heaven is far greater than you can ever imagine or think. Christ is so much greater than you can imagine or think. And I've said before, think the biggest thought that you can about God, it's not big enough. Because he's bigger than anything you can imagine uh, or think. And, uh, but we're rich, we're rich in Christ. And, and Paul is talking here uh, about his ministry, about his ministry very quickly here. Uh, What makes a true minister of the gospel? Now, he was also an apostle, but I think we can see these things uh, ourselves here. The making of a true minister of the gospel uh, is being called. He says in verse 7, does he not, in Ephesians 3, he said, of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me, according to the working of his power, Paul was made. He was chosen by God. He was changed by God uh, to do this. He did not just go to a seminary and decide, I'm going to be a preacher. Now, a lot of them do that. You know, that would make a good... I like to speak, and so I'll be a minister. I'll go to seminary. That does not make a minister. A minister is made by God where God gives the minister a heart for the people and a love of the gospel, to preach the gospel. And sadly to say in our churches today, brethren, very few men today are preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ saves uh, from your sin. And so, uh, He was made. It was all from God. And then we find uh, uh, the mission Of the minister is to serve. Minister means to serve others. And of course we're all called to serve in different ways. You are. uh, But we have here the description of a minister's job. Is to proclaim the unsearchable riches of Christ. To proclaim the gospel. You know I think Paul was absolutely... Uh, uh, overtaken overwhelmed uh, burdened uh, love for the gospel I think if you would have been around Paul you'd say Paul you've told me about the gospel that's enough and he said no let me tell you about the gospel that's what we should be doing because what is the gospel good news see the good news of the gospel it's good news that is, Jesus Christ died uh, for your sins and by faith in him. It's interesting in the, uh, uh, the Macedonia vision that Paul received. It says, A vision appeared to Paul in the night, a man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. When he had seen the vision, immediately he sought to go into Macedonia, concluding. That God had called us to preach the gospel to them. See, that was on His heart. Everywhere He went was to preach the gospel. That's what our heart ought to be. It ought to be to tell others about Jesus. Do we? Do we have that passion, compassion that Paul had? It's. It's. Uh, uh, he's telling us you can. The message of the true minister of the gospel. What is the message? To open up this mystery of Christ, of who Christ is, to preach the whole counsel of God, beginning to end. Uh, our, Our ministry ought to be Christ centered. Our whole life ought to be Christ centered. It's all about Christ, is it not? Our whole life is about Christ because He's our all in all, He's all we need. And yet we talk about Him, very little, sad to say. And so that's why we need to fix our eyes upon Him. It's all about Him. You know, Spurgeon said, if a man can preach a sermon without mentioning Christ, it should be his last. And I agree. Today there are so many feel-good sermonettes Where people are not told about the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. The method of a true gospel minister is found in verse 8. How to to communicate the gospel. He says to preach the word. To enlighten the mind. You see the mind has to be enlightened to the truth. Of who Jesus is. uh, All about Christ. And then what's in the mind then will go to the heart and emotions. But before the heart and emotions can be touched, the mind has to be enlightened to who Christ is. And so this is the job of the minister, uh, communicating the gospel. That is the method, the might. What is the might of a true minister? Where does his power come from? Did you see where it told us that? According to the working of God's power. I can get up here and, and talk all, all day and you can listen for the next 25 years. But if the power of God is not in it, it's not have no effect. The power of God. Be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. See, I don't come in my name. I come in Jesus' name. And I preach the Word and God takes that Word and He works in your heart as you hear it in your head and you gather it. And then Paul says, don't let it just stay there, but let it work in you and have a uh, changing effect in your life. Become more like Christ. Become and grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. We must have his power to do that. Or we labor in vain. The mindset of a true minister is a sense of dependence upon Christ and Christ alone. Do you have that dependence alone on Christ? Is that your mindset? Having accountability, accountability to Christ as the master? And then Paul also had a sense of privilege that I've already talked about. To me, of all people, God would choose me, the apostle, Paul, to proclaim this mystery to the church. Wow. And I would have to say the same thing. A sense of privilege because it really is. Let me say again. You are rich in Christ. You have a treasure chest. You have a treasure chest. Are you opening up that treasure chest and showing it to other people who need the gospel? They need Christ. Because you see, without Christ, their lives are bankrupt. Their lives are empty. They have nothing without Christ. And so Paul is saying here to all of us, not just to me, but mainly to me, because in a way I am a minister of the gospel, a preacher of the gospel, but he says, are you telling other people what's going to change their life? a doctor can give medicine to people and it physically it helps them most of the time but we have something to give to them spiritually that will help them for eternity he can help us a doctor can physically for a short time but there is one that can help someone who is bankrupt and they need to see their bankrupt You need to see you're bankrupt. You you, you come to Christ empty-handed to Him alone as a sinner, and you cry out every day, Lord, I need you every day. That's not something you do just at salvation. Somebody will say, oh, I walked an aisle, and I said that for the past 30 years. I've lived for self, but I made that decision, and I'm going to heaven. I need to say that every day. Lord, save me. Save me from my corruption. Save me from from, uh, all the things that I do that hurt other people. Lord, I need Your Spirit. I need Your power to live the Christian life. That should be what should be true about all of us every day. Not something we did 30 years in the past. We need it every day. And we need to come, as Christians, empty-handed. We need to come bankrupt. Because in our flesh dwells no good thing. You see, Christ is all you need. Do you hear me? I mean, I'm preaching to myself, but hear me, hear me. Let the Holy Spirit bankrupt you and see that Christ is all you need. That's what Paul is telling us. In his own way, he's saying, I was there, God has changed me. By his mighty power. Let's pray. Father this morning as we come. We come bankrupt. We all come bankrupt. Because we know that all of the righteousness. uh, That we produce. Is only filthy rags. All our righteousness Lord. Are as filthy rags. We all have sinned and fall short. Of the glory of God. Every day we fall short. Of the glory of God. But Lord it's because we fall short. That we need Jesus. Every day. Lord help us every day. To cry out. In our time of need. To fix our eyes upon Christ. The author and finisher of our faith. Lord help us like Paul. To see that we're stewards. That we have been given this treasure chest. May we open it up to the world that they too may see Christ is all they need. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.